I need no introduction this morning. I'm so excited to be here with you all. Can you make some noise? You made it to church. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Nate and I, I serve as the executive pastor at a church called Substance Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. have the privilege of being here today on behalf of my pastors, Pastor Peter and Carolyn Haas, they send their love. Uh, we, we consider ourselves in Minnesota to be basically Southern Canada. I'm always trying to graft myself into the great country of Canada, amen? So, so excited to be here. I am wearing this, I am just wearing this for the Leaf, not the team. So it's just my Canadian representation. Go Maple Leafs. And so, uh, so excited to be here today. I, I'm, I'm just, I love your pastor, Pastor Corey and Aaron. They're super important to me. Can we give it up for our pastors? I'm thankful for a man and woman of God who would ha have the audacity to start a church in a city, to have faith to say God could do something significant in the lives of the people in Airdrie, to have a family that, that serves the Lord so faithfully. We had the privilege, Arwen came to Substance and, and, and spent a few months with us, and uh, I, I, I told her she can come back anytime. I don't know what the laws are, but we, you're welcome. We're family. Come on back. And, and I saw her drumming up here today. I was so jealous. I'm like, come back to Substance. But I'm just so thankful for the family because it, this family has served so faithfully. This is the third venue. I've been to all the different venues at Venue Church. And I've seen uh, all that God has done from, from the Performing Arts Center we were in to the school to here. And just seeing the church is alive. Just seeing there's lives of people who are being changed and transformed. Because here's what I understand. It's, it's not about a building. It's not about a service. It's about the people of God living out the mission of God in the city. And I, I'm just so thankful for the faithfulness of, uh, of this church and the leaders here, the people that serve so faithfully. I was here last night with a team of people that were praying for you. They're believing for something great for your life. And they're believing that God has more in store than your current circumstances. So you made it here, and I don't think it's by accident. I think you're here on purpose, and I actually believe that God's designed it this way. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we give you the next few minutes to speak into our lives. We ask you to have your way, and I, I just pray against any distraction, any worry of tomorrow, any fear and anxiety that may be sneaking in. I pray, Lord, that that would become fleeting in this moment, and we could commune with you. I just believe, Holy Spirit, that you want to release life upon your church. Are we ready to receive it? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 To set up today, to set up the sermon where we're going to go, we're going to be studying some scripture today. Uh, but I, I was reminded of a crazy story I heard. I actually spend a lot of time in southern Florida. That's where Minnesotans go for our 10 months of winter. Uh, we leave for a couple months and say, hey, let's warm up a little bit. And so we head down to Florida. Uh, we have had the third snowiest winter in all of history in Minnesota. I believe we are actually snowier than Calgary, and, and so we just, uh, we just I just always am plowing snow. That's all I do. I go to church, and I plow snow. It seems like all I'm doing all the time, and our city never shuts down because of the winter. we got to stay open. We had uh, 68 days in a row below zero degrees Fahrenheit, and I don't care if it's Fahrenheit or Celsius. That is really cold, and so we... Uh, 
we have a tough winter, so we escaped to Florida. And I, it was funny, I was down in, in, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I, I was going on a run, and, and I, I witnessed some things that were kind of crazy to me. And I actually looked it up on the, uh, on the internet, and I, I found that anytime that, that, that Southern Florida goes through a cold spell, they have to put warnings out about how cold it is. Now, to them, anything under five degrees is blizzard warning. And so, uh, any, and that's five degrees Celsius, anything below 45 degrees Fahrenheit, which I like to call a perfect day to go for a run. Here, if it's five degrees outside, that is spring. Put your shorts on. We're going to have a great day. In, in southern Florida, they have their winter coats, their hats, their gloves, and they're shutting down the airport. And so uh, I'm down there, and I, I see these warnings. I saw this warning sign on the news. I'm going to throw it up here if the team can put it up. And the warning was falling iguanas this morning. Uh, I don't. Have you ever woken up to that on your news? Falling iguanas this morning. What I, I, I kind of looked into this. What is going on? Why are iguanas falling out of the trees everywhere? And I found out the, these iguanas are from Central America, and they are kind of an invasive species that were brought in, brought into Florida, and they just have populated everywhere. In fact, I went for a 5K run. I counted 152 of these iguanas on my run. And I'm not talking about those little baby gecko lizards. These things can grow up to five feet long and weigh over 20 pounds. So basically like a small child. And they're, they're letting people know, watch out, a small child may be falling out of the tree and take you out. It's the funniest thing I ever saw. We just have to put the iguana warning out. And so they, they have people, park rangers and stuff that are managing the park system and they got to let people know, watch out for the iguanas. And so uh, it, it's kind of interesting uh, hearing this story. In fact, I uh, ended up uh, kind of studying a little more, like what is the deal with these iguanas? And just like many reptiles, they're cold-blooded. And so when they get that cold, they're basically kind of asleep. They're in kind of a dormant state. They're not actually dead. And so officials have to say, hey, don't touch the iguanas. They carry a lot of different diseases. They can kind of go berserk on you. And so leave them alone. But what, believe it or not, people actually love eating these things. They're, they're kind of a, a delicacy in Central America. And so uh, this guy pulled up to a park and he saw all these iguanas frozen laying on the ground. And I'm just going to encourage you, go Google this later. It is the craziest story ever. And so this guy grabs a whole bunch of them thinking free dinner. I'm going to throw these on my smoker later and we're going to have some iguana for dinner. And so he picks up these frozen iguanas and he throws them in his minivan in the back and he begins to drive down the interstate to uh, the highway to go home. And he had the heat cranked all the way up in the car. Well, all of a sudden, these iguanas that were asleep start waking up, and they go completely berserk on the dude and start running around the, the back of his minivan. It's like a scene from a horror movie. These things went full on Jurassic Park on this guy. Could you imagine driving next to that car on the interstate being like, what is happening? A green iguana is attacking his face. And so uh, when I heard that story, I thought that was so crazy. And I, I've learned that just here being at Venue Church, we're such a generous church. In fact, Max and I, we've done something special for you. We actually are going to give a free iguana to every kid in kids ministry today. God bless you. But the reason why I share that goofy story with you is I actually think in a similar way, we are all guilty of having the same attitude towards God at times. I mean, if I'm honest, we, we do this to God all the time. We just think that that because God is not showing up the way he wants or responding the way that we want him to, that maybe God has quit on us. Some of you 
in this room today. You may be praying for big things in your life, and it may just seem like God's not doing it for you. He's not answering you, and you, you falsely assume that, that God is maybe dead and not alive, that that dream for your life is never going to come to fruition, or maybe God simply doesn't care about you. And then, boom, all of a sudden, God shows up, and he's like, hey, loved one, I deeply care about you. I'm, I am alive. I am working on your dreams. I, I, I do care. I did not quit. I'm not dead. I want to encourage you, church, with this. Don't ever interpret the delays of your life as denials. Don't ever assume that the desert season of your life is evidence of God's desire for you. Your delays are never equal to a denial from God. Church, I want you to hear this. Let's not get stuck in this life making bad decisions just because things are not moving the way you want them to move. I want to encourage you, for you, maybe you're going through a difficult season in your life. Maybe for you it's shame in your life or some addiction that you're struggling with and it just feels like there's no hope for your life. For, for you, maybe the last few years have been pretty difficult. Maybe for you today, you feel stuck in your job, or for you, you feel stuck in a bad situation. Your marriage is just not working out the way you thought it would. Maybe for you, there just feels like there's no hope. I, I just want to encourage Venue Church today. I, I want to help you today on behalf of the Holy Spirit and at work with God and what he's doing in this church. I want to help you find your strength in God again today. Listen, church, regardless of what's going in your life, today is for you. Today is your day. T today, I, I just want to help us think more clearly, if I could. And, and, and to do this, we're going to be studying a short passage that we find in 1 Samuel 23. And in the context of this scripture, we, we find David in scripture here, the, the kid who killed Goliath. You know who I'm talking about. Come on, boom, cut his head off, big deal. And this dude... David gets anointed to become the next king of God's people. David had been promised by God that he would become king. But unfortunately, in the meantime, in the space between the promise and the position, David is hiding out from a wicked king named Saul. We see David is stuck in scripture in this moment in scripture. He's hiding out in the desert in random caves. Saul is literally hunting him down, trying to take out his life and kill anyone that is near him. We see David is starting to wonder, is God going to do what he promised he would do? Does God even care about the dreams of my life anymore? It was good when I was a shepherd boy serving the Lord, but for me at this age in my life, I just don't see God showing up. We find David in scripture, he's completely depressed. He's, he's just living in the desert, waiting to be killed. And so let's go into scripture here in 1 Samuel 23. We pick up in verse 15, and we see here in scripture, it says, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find his strength in God. Verse 17, do not be afraid, Jonathan said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I'll be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. In that moment, the two made a covenant before the Lord. Then 
Jonathan went home, and David remained in that cave in Horesh. We see in Scripture in the midst of a very depressing moment. I don't know about you, but I just don't have people coming to try to kill me every day. We see in this depressing moment, in a super low moment of his life, God shows up suddenly and sends an encourager named Jonathan, who just so happened to be the son of that evil king. I just love this. I love what we see so simply in Scripture here. We see in verse 16, in Saul's son Jonathan went to David and what? Helped him find strength in God. It's so powerful, so simple, so powerful. You see, church, at some point, we are all going to find ourselves in one of these situations. We're going to find ourselves in maybe for us, we feel like David and we feel like we're so stuck and feel like there's no hope for our future, feel like there's no hope for my life. It feels like everybody's trying to take me out. Or maybe we feel like Jonathan and, and we just need to show up for someone and help them find their strength again. I actually believe that each person in this room represents one of these characters today. As I reflect on this scripture, reflect on the story of what's happening in the life of this king, this future king, there was a promise, but no victory. There was a dream, but no hope. And as I reflected on this scripture, we know that David, it all worked out. He became the man known as, known as the man after God's own heart. He became the leader and the king of God's people. He was a man who sinned yet returned to God time and time again saying, God, restore me, renew me, make me whole again. We read in the Psalms the story of this man who was from Bethlehem that became the city of David where Jesus was born. He laid the foreground for the coming king. Yet in the moment in his desert, it seems so hopeless. And Jonathan shows up at just the right moment. Jonathan helped him find his strength again. Then he, he reminded David, you will be king. And today I want to encourage you, church, before we go deeper, which one of these two characters are you? Are you a David living in a season of defeat? Feels like there's no hope. Are you a Jonathan and God is speaking right now through the power of his Holy Spirit and the Lord is saying you need to step up and step out for someone else. Because here's the truth. If we don't know who we are and we're not responding accordingly, we are going to miss God. Are you with me, church? I'm reminded of a, of a story that I think can illustrate this. This is a story back in the 1980s. Uh, it took place in, the, in New Orleans, the, the, the city of New Orleans, very large city, very hot during the summer, very, very sweaty, hot summers. And so because of the heat, they, they have public pools throughout all of the communities surrounding New Orleans so the families can go swim throughout the summer. It's a, a large logistical demand to handle the pools. I, here we saw that they have some hot springs up in the mountains. I'm not talking hot springs. The, the heat is in the air. And so, uh, and so they have all these pools that they would manage. And uh, it's a large undertaking. And so they had hundreds upon hundreds of employees and administrators. In fact, they had over 100 professionally trained lifeguards that were responsible for all of the different pools throughout the community. And this summer in the 1980s, they ended up having and gathering together a massive celebration that they had not experienced a serious incident at any of the public pools that summer. 
There was not a single uh, major incident of hurt or loss. There was no drownings that took place. And they ended that summer with a big celebration. And what they did is they gathered over 100 lifeguards together to have a pool party together. They hired four professional lifeguards to come and oversee the party. And as the party began to wind down, all of a sudden they realized the worst thing had happened. They ended up finding the body of a person that drowned during the party. I thought that was so tragic. Like how ironic. You can be surrounded by 100 professionally trained people to identify distress yet miss the one person that needs it the most. And I say this today because I just believe that there are people in this room and listening to this message and you feel like you're on the verge of drowning. Today, I just know that there are people listening and it feels like life is completely hopeless. And to be honest, those people do not need someone to carry all of their burdens, but they do need someone to simply reach out to help them find their strength in God. Just as we see in 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan did not have to fundamentally alter his life. Scripture doesn't say that Jonathan bought a cave next to David hiding out in the desert. Scripture says this, he just needed to show up and point to God to help David find his strength. And and I think a lot of times we get overwhelmed by all of people's problems and the chaos of their life. And we have a million opinions of what they need to do different in their marriage and how they need to approach their life. But listen, we don't actually need to be the ones who solve all of people's problems. At the end of the day, God is the solution. Church, I want to help us think a little differently today. Our job is simply to help people find God's solution. We are pointing to our Heavenly Father. And honestly, the role we play is simple. It's simply to call out that God has a call upon each person's life. You see, David just needed an encourager to remind him, you are going to be king. God promised it. And what many people really need today are friends to show up, to remind them of the promise, to help them find their strength, proclaiming you will be healed. Your current problems in your job, in your marriage, in your body, it's not permanent. Listen, God has a plan for each of you. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for all things, in fact. But I just wonder how how many people in this world, how many people in this area, they just feel like their life is stuck in some permanent loop. And they're fighting the depression of this world. Early on in COVID, uh, uh, COVID COVID-19 was something we went through the last three years. Anybody remember that? It's almost like we forgot it already. And uh, we went through this crazy crisis as the church, the church was used to physically gathering people. And we honestly, we didn't know how to respond. Everyone had an opinion. No one wanted to help. I mean, that was my church, not yours. And uh, we ended up on these video chats gathering. Anybody hate Zoom? I hated Zoom after about three months of COVID-19. I'm like, get Zoom away from me. I'm about to Zoom away. And by the way, we are not Zooming into heaven. It's a physical reality. It's a place that we're going to be. And so I, uh, I remember early on, I'm on this call with a person, 
and we're on this chat with a person named Dr. Henry Cloud. And, and if you don't know who Dr. Henry Cloud, he's a very successful author and, and counselor. In fact, he's kind of like Dr. Phil, but he's like spirit-filled, passionate Christian. And so um, anyways, we're on this call, and he's, he's teaching this. He did this entire teaching on what does crisis do to a person? Or maybe to say it another way, he said it like this. How does a person behave differently in crisis? And he shared some interesting information for us. For example, did you know that when a person is in crisis, the IQ function tends to drop by an average of 30 IQ points, or what I like to call an 18-year-old male? And so when you're stuck in crisis, it, it, it begins to really affect the way that you think and the way that you experience life. It's why it's so critical that you have friends in your life before you go through crisis, and, and because you just don't want to end up making big decisions in your life when you're thrust into the chaos and you're not thinking straight. But as he began to unpack this, he, he began to teach us that once crisis kind of settles in life, a lot of people get stuck in what he calls a depression loop. And then they begin to interpret all of reality through a few filters. And here they are in the screen. Everything is personal. Everything is pervasive. And everything is permanent. For example, personal, instead of seeing our struggles as problems to be solved, we see the struggles as personal attacks on our life. Instead of seeing it as my boss is trying to actually help me grow and make me better, we see it as my boss is vindictively trying to harm me. Instead of seeing my friends are challenging me, we see the feedback that they're giving us as a personal attack upon our character and they're abandoning us. And all of the adversity that we feel up against, instead of seeing it as a challenge, we see it as a personal attack. Or instead of externalizing and getting a plan and a, and a roadmap to grow, we internalize it and we just say, we must be flawed, I must be broken, and there's no hope for me. We ruminate and we begin to think like, I think things like, I'm a terrible friend, I'm a horrible spouse, I'm, I'm just a bad employee and I'll never do good things. And we, we think things like, I should have never trusted that person, I should have never dated that person, I shouldn't have helped them out when they were in trouble, I should have never been vulnerable with them. And it's like everything in our life becomes a personal attack versus a problem to solve. Second, we see in the filters of the depression loop, a filter called Pervasive. When people get depressed, they interpret every problem out there as systemic. You technically maybe only struggle with one or two coworkers, but when the pervasive filter is on our life, you begin to think all of my coworkers are dysfunctional backbiters. Typically, an objective person may think there's really just a couple problems that I need to work on today. But when you're stuck in a crisis loop, they see this person begins to see everything as tainted and unsolvable. And pretty soon, these people begin to make huge sweeping statements about everything, like the whole government is wicked, all my friends are fake, all men are evil, the whole country is going down the tubes, and I'm sure none of you all said that during COVID. <laughs> and the third filter is everything is permanent. We think that it's never going to change for us. I'm always going to be single. I'm always going to be addicted. I'm always going to feel depressed. Nothing will ever go back to normal. Have you ever felt any of these things in the desert seasons of your life? Here's the truth, church. We don't have to wear these filters that we put on. And why? You may ask why today, because God always has a plan for our lives. He does. 
He does. In fact, get this. One of the names of our Heavenly Father is the God of hope. We see in Romans 15, 13, the Apostle Paul says it like this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that what? You may overflow with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God doesn't want us just to have some hope. Rather, he wants us overflowing with his hope. And why does he want us overflowing? Because he wants us to spill out on other people. That's how he has designed his church to work. And I just want to remind you today, there's just a lot of people that are out there, there's a lot of people out there that just lack hope. And maybe you're one of them. I, I, I was reminded of this story of church. I just love studying church history at Substance. We kind of like just love to look at what has God done in the church in the last 2,000 years. And reminded of a story of this famous man named George Mueller. And George Mueller started orphanages throughout England. And when he first started the orphanage, he's in there every day running and, and dealing with the complexities of running an orphanage. And, and unfortunately, money was hard to come by. And it was a huge investment to maintain these children that had no parents. And each day, they would kind of just make it through. And he would do his best to feed the kids. And a day came along where there was no food left. They woke up and... He woke up all the orphans, and they began to come together. And, 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 and so George ordered everyone to set the table. All the children were seated at the table, yet there was no food. So Mueller began to, to pray over the meal. And his prayer was that God would provide food. And he quoted the psalm that, that we see from Scripture. We will never see the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Suddenly, in that moment, there was a knock at the door. And there was a, a baker standing there. And he says, I couldn't sleep last night. I kept getting this weird impression to bake bread for the orphanage. And the impression became so strong, it overtook me. And so at 2 a.m., I woke up and I began to bake bread for you. Here it is. And I was, he was standing there. There was a second knock at the door. And funny enough, it was the milkman. And right outside the orphanage, his milk cart had broken down. And to repair it, he had to get rid of all of the milk. And he provided the milk for the orphanage. They had bread and milk for another day. Come on, church. God always responds. Again, in Scripture, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. What I love about that story is to reflect on the life of George Mueller. He set the table. He set the table. He made, he made provision and position for the Lord to respond. I want to ask you today, church, do you trust in God? Are you setting the table, so to speak, in your life? Are you depending on God for your future? Coming back to this scripture, Jonathan simply reminded David, you'll be king. Meaning you won't always be stuck in this situation. It's simply temporary. But let's be honest, when, when, when we're stuck in the desert season of our lives and we're wearing these crisis filters over us, we can't see till tomorrow. 
Reminded of another story that took place in the 1800s. There was a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. Parents, there is a name for your children. Any Adonirams in the room today? Let me talk to you afterwards. But he was a famous uh, pioneer missionary in the 1800s. And he actually has a pretty crazy story. In fact, Judson was actually, uh, uh, used to be a, a diehard atheist before he worked in the church. And, and this was before it was fashionable and cool to be an atheist. It was a big deal back in the 1800s. He was actually super intelligent and artistic. And uh, he just didn't want anything to do with the church. But he ended up having a crazy, radical conversion story. But that's not actually... What he's famous for, after, after this conversion story, he ended up going into the ministry and becoming a pastor. Began to experience a lot of success in ministry and becoming well-known on the East Coast and was ultimately offered uh, to pastor a church at a very prestigious church in, in Boston and take that church over. But Adoniram was not that kind of leader. Adoniram was not a type of person who wanted to live in the comfort zone of his life. In fact, he had made the decision. He literally said this, life is too short and the devil is too mean to live that way. So he began to think, what is the toughest Christian mission I could commit my life to? And this is what he ended up doing. He moved to the other side of the world. And keep in mind, it was not popular to be a missionary in the 1800s, nor was it a safe thing to do. Nadaniram took his family and he literally sailed across the world to India. He ended up relocating to Burma, right between China and India. In fact, he was one of the first missionaries to Christianity in the Asian Buddhist culture. He was one of the first Westerners to master the Burmese language so he could preach the gospel. But things were not easy in his mission. In fact, he spent over seven years of his life on the verge of starvation. After this period of time, he was falsely accused of being a spy, and he was thrown into a prison for almost two years. And we're not talking a modern prison. We're talking a prison that literally was called death prison. He was shackled to the wall. His hands and his feet were chained to the wall, and he was tortured and beaten for 21 straight months. After he was finally released, his skin was so horribly disfigured from the chains that he wore in that prison. Of course, while he was in prison, his wife gave birth to his, their daughter Maria, but not long after he was released, his cute little girl ended up passing away tragically. And if that wasn't enough, his wife ended up passing away as well. And following these two tragedies, he gets a letter months later from America that his father had passed away. I mean, talk about a year from hell. I mean, he had to be at a moment in his life saying, come on, God. All that I've done for you, I've given my life to you. Why is this happening to me? And church, I know that we've all had a couple bad days and maybe a few bad years, but come on, he is carrying around the scars of unjust torture. It's heartbreaking. Imagine being in a foreign place where most people hate you. And you've sacrificed everything, not just wealth and comfort, but literally tortured for the gospel. Not surprisingly, Adoniram was thrust into a deep depression in his life. In fact, he was so suicidal as he wrote this that he gave away everything that he had. 
In fact, Adoniram went out to the edge of the jungle that he lived near and he dug his own grave. In fact, he would go out to that grave every single day and he would simply sit in the grave waiting to die day after day after day. One of those moments while sitting in the grave and looking up to the sky, he had a moment with the Holy Spirit. And deep in his heart, he knew that God had more for his life. But how many know sometimes it's just hard to get that head knowledge to connect to that heart knowledge. I mean, I know that God's got a plan, but every emotion in my body is screaming otherwise. So he finally came to this point and he decided and he recommitted to the Lord. And he says, I will go forward. I will accomplish the work you've called me to do. I will not give up. If there's breath in my lungs, there's purpose in my tomorrow. And he got out of that grave and he walked back to the village. And soon after getting back on mission, he ended up meeting a dynamic woman named Sarah Boardman. Sarah Boardman was a dynamic Christian who was married to a very famous missionary in the Asian region. He had passed away suddenly and God brought these two together. So you single people, come on, God has a plan for you. He does. But professionally, things in his life begin to really take off. Get this. Over the next 23 years, he finished translating the very first Burmese Bible. And get this, by the time of his death, he launched over 63 churches in the region. He personally recruited over 123 missionaries to come to Burma with him. In fact, it is estimated that he personally led over 50,000 Burmese people to Jesus Christ. Get this, by the end of his life, he started so many missions organizations that 2,700 people became missionaries and went to the field. How was that for a happy ending? But let's remember, church, Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget when you put his church first. I'm thinking about the story today, and I think about the fact that he dug his own grave. Maybe you today, you feel just kind of beat up. Maybe you feel like Adoniram sitting down in your own grave. Maybe for you, you feel like David and you're just stuck in a desert season of your life. And when you were younger, there was hope, but now you're older and it seems no purpose. Maybe for you, you've allowed the crisis filters to overtake your marriage, to overtake you with addiction, to overtake you with purpose. Listen, church, there comes a point in every person's life where they must make the decision. Either I'm going to reinvest my life into God's kingdom and watch it, watch it multiply my life again, or I'm going just to continue to die today. I want to encourage you, God has great plans for you. And if we could respond appropriately, I just believe that today God's going to show up in a big way. Today... It's your day of healing this Sunday. Today is your day of freedom from all shame and addiction. Today is the day your marriage is restored. Today is the day that lost sons and daughters return home. Today is your day. And I just know that there are a few groups of people in this room. There are those of you, you just need to experience victory in an area of your life. Maybe for you, it's time to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe for you, it's been a long time and you need to recommit your life to him. 
Maybe for you, God is calling and the Holy Spirit is speaking for you to begin to lead other people over to their victory, to be a Jonathan with holy faith to show up for other people. And so Venue Church, it's time. It's time to declare. Today is your day. It's time to find your strength in God again. Church, no more excuses. No more living the way you've lived. Let's respond. Let's take off the crisis filters. Stop digging your grave. Set the table for him. And corporately as a church, what kind of church will we be? Will we be a church that shows up for a community of people to help them find their strength, proclaiming healing over them? Will we go all in? I'm reminded of the life of David we see later in the Psalms when he is king. We see in Psalm 27, and I want to prophesy this over your life right now. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The words of this king, whom shall I fear? He was, he was literally hunted down. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall because this is the God I serve. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing that I ask and one thing I do seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For, the days of, for in the days of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of the sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. And, I, I, and, and listen to this church. In this moment, I will sing. Man, we do worship here. It's not just songs. David says it like this. God rises me above my enemies at his sacred tent. I will, I will sacrifice with what? Shouts of joy. In the face of adversity, in the face of a broken marriage, in the face of addiction, I will shout with joy to my God. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Then you church hear this. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. This is his cry out to God. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You, God, have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. And this is a word for some of you in this room today. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Who can relate? But here it is, church. And this is the word for you. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
It's a promise for each and every one of you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, we wait on you right now. We wait for the Lord. And it ends with this. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The question today is, how will you respond, church? I want to invite you today to make room for the Lord to speak into your circumstances. The Holy Spirit is not condemning. We do not serve an antagonistic God. We serve a faithful God. He is a loving Father and He does not condemn you, but He says, come and go and sin no more. He's drawing you unto Himself right now and I believe He's redeeming your brokenness. And I believe He's speaking to some people in this room to step into your victory. I believe he's breathing life back into broken situations. Would we make room for the Lord today? Would we simply respond in this moment? Would you stand with me? We're going to go into a song of worship. And I believe that this is a moment to prophesy over your life. And I believe that God sent me here on mission to simply be an encourager because I'm going back home. But I want to help you find your strength before we walk out of this room. Would you join me, church, as we make room for the Holy Spirit and respond corporately to the work of the Lord in our life as he draws us unto himself.